You're listening to the Tenuto Podcast presented by me, Kevin Lynch. Here we go! Alright, we've got a special edition of the Tenuto Podcast this week. We are throwing it back with Chrissy Weimer. She was my student teaching supervisor last year, and at this time last year, I graduated from college. I was just finishing up my student teaching, and I figured it's a great time to have my old student teaching supervisor who was doing fantastic things with her life. She recently just got a job out in Texas at a university, and her official title is the Assistant Professor of Music Education at the University of Texas Rio Grande Valley. So congratulations to Chrissy, and you'll hear that interview a little bit later, but I want to talk to you guys a little bit about why I chose Chrissy. She really is one of the main reasons why this podcast started. She has been so encouraging for me to go out and seek the advice of others. Uh, That's been one of her biggest things for me as she's been teaching me through colleges, go out and ask people who you don't know questions. Um, I was sending my student teaching videos to her, and she encouraged me to send them to people who are in grad school and get feedback from different kinds of people. And uh, just her, her relentless pursuit to get me to branch out of my comfort zone has been absolutely fantastic. I like to talk to people about, you know, what kind of advice they would give themselves as a first-year teacher, and that's typically the last question I ask in my interview before the rapid-fire session for those of you who listen every week. This week, I want to talk to you guys about what kind of advice I would give myself and what kind of advice, really, that I received from Chrissy Weimer during my student teaching, because obviously, I can't give myself advice yet because I'm still in my first year, but... As a student teacher, my advice for myself and something that Chrissy had talked to me a lot about was to just model more. And I think I was a little bit afraid to play the secondary instruments as much as I probably should have just because I didn't have a lot of experience with them. But the best way to teach is really to to show by example. There's this famous quote that I found. It's about Albert Einstein. He was asked if example is the best way to teach and he answered no it's the only way to teach and I found that pretty powerful looking back on my student teaching and especially the beginning of my student teaching I remember trying to tell kids how to play the music and I would really use playing as a last resort and I think that that should be the opposite I think we need to start out modeling for these kids to show them what we want it to sound like and it'll be a lot more effective now, as a first-year teacher, I'm going to take that one step further. I've, I've found that if you tell a student, they'll forget. If you show a student, they'll remember. But if you involve a student, so if you play it actually with the student, involve them, they'll understand. And I think that that's a big difference. That's something that I'm learning along the way. And that is something that Chrissy Weimer has been trying to get me to learn for a while. Um, I would love it if she came and watched me teach now out here in Virginia, but unfortunately, she's going down to Texas, and we are going to hear a lot about that in this 
upcoming interview with Chrissy. So I'm going to kick it there. Thank you guys so much for listening. And like always, like the Facebook page, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe on iTunes. I hope you enjoy this interview with Chrissy mm-hmm. Weimer. So I'm here with Chrissy Weimer, a recent graduate from Penn State University. She just got her PhD, and in the fall, she's going to be starting as the assistant professor of music education at the University of Texas Rio Grande Valley. So, Chrissy, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for inviting me, Kevin. Awesome. And honestly, congratulations on graduating I have a question. How does it feel upgrading to the new model of the cap in your cap and gown? Um, awesome. I always I see those pictures of the, the cap and you know, I think the doctorate cap is pretty funny looking sometimes. Um, yeah, I thought so too, but you know, I kind of rocked it. Yeah, I saw. Look looked good. <laughs> so now you're headed out to Texas, um, assistant professor of music education out there how does it feel to start a new job in totally different part of the country um it's exciting i'm a little anxious about it in a good and a bad way um yeah yeah i don't know it's just when i started the degree i always thought like you have to be open to going anywhere any any job any state like that was kind of my thing it doesn't matter where i end up as long as i end up in a job that's a good fit for me and this job I think is going to be a really good fit for me. So yeah. that's what's most important. That's awesome. Um, when I'm so I recently moved to Virginia, and it was like a it was a big move for me. I hadn't been this far south yet, like in my life, and I was worried about developing a, an accent, like a, a southern accent. Are you worried <laughs> that you're going to develop a Texas accent if you stay no. in Texas too long? No, I'm not going <laughs> to wear a cowboy hat, and I'm not going to wear cowboy boots, and I'm not going to have a southern accent. Okay. Okay. Well, um, even before, so before you even thought about, you know, teaching college where you are now, can you tell me a little bit about where your career started off um, after undergrad? So I know you went to West Virginia and then what happened after West Virginia? Um, After, I mean, I always knew I would get a doctorate even as a, as an undergrad. I knew that it was something that I wanted to pursue. Um, I kind of had this plan where I was going to teach a few years, I thought three years, and then I'd go back and get my master's, and then I would teach a couple more years, and then I'd go and um, get a PhD. But after I finished my bachelor's, I got a job in Worcester County, Maryland. Mm-hmm. I taught middle school band and general music. Our school was four to eight. It was in a pretty rural area. Okay. Um, so I taught six to eight general music, and I taught six to eight band, but I was there for five years. For two of the years, I taught fifth grade band as well, but because their schedule was separate, they kept like elementary and middle schools schedule separate. It didn't work out in all of the five years for me to have fifth grade band. Um, I was there for five years and I maintained a private studio and I taught one year of K to three general music at a private, a small private Christian school. Um, so in between my bachelor's and master's, I taught for eight years. Wow. What, what made you want to go to that smaller private school? Um, well, actually I was taking, um, some time off before I went to get my master's and I was working, I, I still maintained a private studio. So I had a number of students. So I was teaching music, you know, a few hours every day still. Mm-hmm. And I was working part-time as a bartender 
I thought it would be fun to get my bartending license. Like cool. I went to school yeah, and I got a degree and it's called techniques of alcohol management. It's like a thing. <laughs> um, I was working as a bartender and absolutely like no intention of getting a job. I was just going to go, I was looking at schools and where I wanted to go yeah. get my master's and things like that. And another bartender said, my kid's school needs a music teacher. And I was like, no, it's not like, not my thing. Yeah. I'm getting ready to go back to school. And she said, just go talk to the principal. I was like, fine, I'll go talk to the principal, but <laughs> I'm not going to take this job. And she was lovely and the kids were lovely. And, um, I mean, I made it very clear that it was going to be a one year thing and then I was headed back to graduate school and they were fine with that. And yeah. so I thought it'd give me some, some more experience too. Cause I had been mostly instrumental and definitely middle school. So like more like secondary, it would give me some good experience to take back in my master's with me. Sure. That's, that's awesome. And it's pretty cool too, that, you know, if things don't work out with music, even now you can always re- resort to being a bartender <laughs> again, right? I'm still a pretty good bartender. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think that's awesome. So, uh, there's probably some people listening to the, the podcast who don't really know who you are. I'm sure a lot of people do know. But um, you were my student teaching well, supervisor. But supervisor, yeah, yeah. So you came and you watched me teach last year, my first year's teaching or my first semester's teaching. And I mean, you were so helpful and so encouraging. And I, I can't say enough good things about you. What what has made you want to help teachers teach to teach teachers? Um, I mean, like I said, I, I always knew I would go back and get a PhD. But I think like um, I struggled a lot as a first year teacher. So that's like where my interest in mentoring comes from and professional development, all that things. Cause I had a lot of people who helped me along the way. So, I mean, working with people like you is easy because you're really open to feedback and you work to take the suggestions that are given to you and incorporate them into your teaching and you're mm-hmm. inquisitive and you're hardworking. Whereas some people are like, um, you know, not that way. I'm not going to listen to the feedback that's given to me. I already know how I want to teach and things like that. That makes it a little more challenging, but I'm not sure how to say this. Or when I was teaching, I felt like that a lot of students, what I saw in in my area and when I went to professional development in other areas, that a lot of teachers like me, novice teachers and and experienced teachers, weren't getting maybe the, the types of professional development that they needed, the types of support that they needed. And, um, I wanted to kind of work in a, in a broader way. So if I stayed in a public school, I'd be, you know, impacting that school and that community. Whereas if I were working with teacher educators who were then going to spread out across the country and and in different areas, it would be kind of like a different impact. And hopefully they would be prepared to, I mean, take on their role as a new teacher, but prepared to understand that there are going to be challenges and struggles and that's fine that's normal and but there are places you can go for resources and to seek help. Yeah. And that's that's one of the biggest things that I got from working with you is that there are a ton of places to go and seek help and I remember you encouraging me to to ask a bunch of people and um I was sending videos to one of my friends in grad school and you you really really liked that and I mean that's one of the reasons why I started this podcast is probably because you put that seed in my head that you can talk to anyone. So um, I really appreciate that. You said that um, your first year you, you had some struggles. What what do you think was like one of the biggest struggles for you as a first year teacher? For me, not being able to relate to my students. Okay. Um, it was a very rural area. It was 
a low SES area. Most of my students, I mean, I'm wondering why they're not taking their instruments home at night to practice. And mm -hmm. I'm not understanding that like they go home to houses where they don't have food and they don't have heat, or maybe they don't have running water. You know, a lot of my students were in situations like that. And I, I don't know what that's like. You're right. Um, you know, a lot of parents there, a lot of single parent households where the parent is working extremely hard to support them and they work long hours. So the child goes home alone at the end of the day and, you know, has to kind of take care of himself or maybe younger siblings and things like that. Um, so that's one of the things that my mentor helped me with because she had grown up in that area. She taught in that area. You know, she understood the climate and the culture of the community and the school. And once I started to better understand that, I started building better relationships with my students and, and things started going much more smoothly. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that, that must've been a big, a big change for you, but that's awesome that you pushed through it and now you can teach people about that kind of stuff too, when you're in Texas. That's yeah. really cool. Um, so I, I remember back in college, um, I was in a class, you were teaching it, and we did this exercise where we were, we were telling a story through music, and it was all improvised, and we were all, we were like trying to depict running by playing fast, or, or we were trying to, there were a couple of different exercises, there's one where we were trying to depict animals by the way we played, and things like that, and I, just, I thought that was so interesting how, how much improvisation is in your teaching, and I wanted to know where that comes from and, and what other kinds of things you like to do in that sort of sense. Well, um, credit to Dr. Thornton for those games. Cause a lot of them I learned from her, um, mm -hmm. from watching her teach in Woodman pad before I taught, were you in the class I taught by myself? Um, no, Dr. Thornton was there too. Okay. Um, yeah, a lot of those I learned from her and there's a really great book on improvisation games for classical musicians. And I can't remember the name of the person who wrote it. And I would turn around and look on my shelf, but I've already packed up a lot of stuff. <laughs> okay. So I can't, but I, I believe it's a GIA publication. It's um, improvisation games for classical musicians. So I got a lot from there. I learned a lot from Dr. Thorian, but I just think that it's really important to have something creative, some sort of creative or improvisatory activity in yeah. each lesson, something that the students can relate to. Um, we've done theme songs where they like create a little theme song oh, for themselves, yeah. which I think I got from Family Guy. Mm -hmm. Song when he was riding a bus or something. <laughs> <laughs> Pull from anywhere, you know. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, inspiration is all around. Uh, I remember one that we did where it was like a cartoon and there was no sound, and we had to mm -hmm. create the the background track to that just with our instruments. Yeah, that was Dr. Thornton. Yeah. Um, I remember one time I had to set that up by myself and I was like, there's no sound. I can't get the sound to work. Like what is wrong with this thing? <laughs> and I was like, Oh, <laughs> there's like, <something> sound." <laughs> yeah, no, that was probably one of the hardest ones that we had to do, but it, it really made me think about like what, what you're playing, how it, what kind of image it's creating in someone's head. Mm -hmm. And, and that concert is how you don't have that video and you have to create that image for them through the music. Um, yeah. I thought that was really cool. And aside from that too, you have, it doesn't matter what students' ability levels are with those. So if you have someone who's advanced, they can come up with something a little fancier, a little more technical if they have those technical capabilities or if, 
um, technique is an issue for the student. They can focus on something um, more lyrical or slower. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be, you know, this way they can kind of make it their own and play on their strengths and work on improving what they need to improve at the same time. Yeah, and it's, it's also cool that you don't have to it, – it can be any age level. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I've, I've used a couple of those things with my middle schoolers, and they have a good time with it, and they – I mean, they perform it well. They understand the basics of it. So, yeah, that is really cool. Um, yeah, so another question for you. What was it like? Because you got your your master's degree and your doctorate from Penn State, right? No, I got my master's from West Virginia University. Okay, sorry. Same so as you, my undergrad. You got your undergrad <laughs> and your master's from some from West Virginia. What made you mm-hmm. choose Penn State for your doctorate? Um, the Thompson Symposium. So, my my master's advisor is a Penn State alum. Um, she did her undergrad there. And she was telling me about the Masters, uh, the Masters Thompson Symposium for Masters students. Um, I I didn't know about it, but it's a symposium for Masters students where they present their work in either presentation or poster. And after I graduated, I spent a semester working with her on getting my Masters field study ready for publication. And she said, you know, you should submit this to the Thompson Symposium, and if you get in, we'll go. And I was like, okay. So I did, and I got it accepted for presentation and poster. So she took me up there for the weekend, um, and she showed me around Penn State, and I got to meet Dr. Rakowski and Dr. Thornton, and I think I met very briefly Dr. Clement. So I met most of the music faculty, mm-hmm. and I really, really enjoyed it there. Um, I enjoyed talking to the faculty. I thought that they were all very approachable and very likable instantly. And so she said, you should apply for your PhD here. So I did a formal visit in the fall where I hung out with um, Jason, mostly Jason Gossett, mm-hmm. took me around. Uh, I sat in on some classes. I talked to the professors and I liked it. So I applied cool. and I got in and now I'm done. Nice. Awesome. So now that you graduated, what does the summer hold? Any plans? Oh. Oh yeah, I'm moving to Texas <laughs> with <laughs> <Yeah>. four cats. <laughs> cool. When do you when do you head out? Uh, I'm not going until later in July, but okay. um, so I have a instrumental music teacher educator conference coming up, and I have some proposals I'm working on, and uh-huh. of course we're working on our study, uh-huh. which we need to talk about. Um, working <laughs> on turning my dissertation into an article, mm. and I'm trying to figure out how to get four cats to Texas. Awesome. All right. Well, here's the last question, and I ask this to everyone that that I talk to. And we talked about it a little bit earlier. You said that you had some struggles as a first year teacher, but if you could go back now, especially you as somebody who who wants to help teachers, what advice would you give to yourself as a first year teacher? I, I don't know if you watched Saturday Night Live, like, I don't know, probably when you were three, because that's when these skits were on, but, like, Sherry O'Terry used to do this character. She's like, sim it down now. Sim it down now. Sim it down now. Yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> that's what I would tell myself. <laughs> it's a marathon, not a sprint. Okay. Yeah. 
I was super high strung and super, um, I kind of felt like I had to know everything and that's really stupid because learning is lifelong. And if you're a teacher and you think that if there's ever a point you think, you know, everything as a teacher, you need to stop teaching right? because it's a lifelong learning thing. And, but I think a lot of the struggles that I had as a first year teacher really helped me. I mean, that's where my research interests come from. I think it helps me better understand my students or try to understand my students now. Mm-hmm. We all have different abilities. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So the last part of every interview, which I'm sure you're well aware, is the rapid fire session. Um, you understand? It's just the first thing that pops into your head. We're gonna just gonna ask questions, and first thing that pops into your head, you gotta throw it out there. I hope the first thing that pops into my head isn't something stupid or inappropriate. <laughs> all right. Are you ready? Ready. Let's do this. Let's go. If you could take three things, only three things with you on your move to Texas, what would they be? Uh, well, I have four cats. Can cats count as one? No. Okay. Yeah. The cats can count as one. Okay. My cats, <laughs> my saxophone, and a bottle of Captain Morgan. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Very cool. Um, last book you read? I am reading a book. I think I've, I'll be teaching an intro to music ed course. So I'm reading right now, um, music education in your hands, Michael oh. Mark and Patrice Maduro. Okay. So you're always focusing on your studies. Go well, ahead. I trade on and off. I try to, do, <laughs> I try to do a professional book and then a pleasure book. Uh-huh. Okay. What's your dream vacation? Um, I think Italy. Italy? Yeah. What My about, people. where would you go in Italy? Um, probably Venice. Yeah. Maybe. Oh, oh, my grandfather's from Naples, so maybe I would go to oh, Naples. Okay. You're talking about my heartstrings. Venice is like my favorite place I've ever been in my entire life. I I'm think jealous. It's gorgeous. Yeah. You should go there soon. Um, okay. Favorite sport to watch? I think football. Okay. College. Even Not though your team, so you're Ohio fan, right? Oh, gotcha. Uh, I'm a Cleveland so, fan, yeah. Not. Yeah. Not the Browns. Ohio no, State. I mean, they're my favorite football team, but I, I like college football much better than the uh, NFL. So is it weird when Penn State plays Ohio State for you? No, because I'm not an Ohio State fan. Oh. I mean, I kind of like what, like my family kind of is. I kind of was growing up, but I'm not really. Good. Okay. It'll always be Penn State over Ohio State for me. Yeah. Do you think the, the Cavs are going to win it all this year? I'm not sure. I think it's going to be a good series. I mean, they stepped it up in the playoffs. They, I was worried about them towards the end of the season there, but they've stepped it up. Yeah. All right. I don't know. Um, all right. Last question. Tell me about your morning routine. Uh, well, now that I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually, I actually, I want to, I'm going to be envious of this one. I usually ask teachers and they tell me they get up at like 5am. Tell me what it's like now that you've graduated from, from college one day out. What was your morning routine like today? (laughs) Well, I stayed in a hotel last night, so I like I woke up and I had breakfast at the hotel with my family. My parents came and um, my younger brother and sister-in-law and nephew, and um, my nephews too, and had like a meltdown at breakfast. It was a little bit funny. Nice. Because <laughs> we were having breakfast at eight thirty. Got it. Oh, nice. Yeah. Wow. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Is this, this is a blast, and I look forward to talking to you more throughout the year. Thanks for inviting me, Kevin. This was fun. All right. And thank you again to Chrissy Weimer. 
Chrissy, your support means so much to me. I really, really appreciate you coming on to the podcast. I hope everybody out there has a great, fantastic week. Um, And keep listening to the podcast because it's coming out every Tuesday. I'm not taking off for the summer. We're going to have podcast episodes every Tuesday. See you next week.